Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Jed Talks. My name is Jed Shepherd and I am your host. Today I've got another author on, a great author and also another one of my favourites. Now I seem to always say that when an author comes on that they're my favourite, that their books are the, the scariest things but generally I've just had a really good run of, of people. My guest today is Paul Tremblay and he has written some of the scariest books I've ever read. Well thank you Jed and I, I won't say I was disappointed I thought I was being invited to a TED talk but it's Jed Talks. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, so the people who kind of listen to this podcast are usually up-and-coming filmmakers, up-and-coming writers, people who are just interested in, I believe, in the creativity side of it and, and how people do things. So if you don't mind doing it, and, and if it's not incredibly cheesy, would you be able to start right at the start and how you knew that you wanted to write and specifically write genre there? Sure. Yeah, I feel like I, I sort of came to, I, I certainly came to writing later than most um, I even came to like reading later than most, which is kind of weird to say. Um, you know, when I, when I grew up, I don't know, my fantasy life was that I wanted to be Larry Bird. But, you know, nice. I was also very short and very skinny. So that equated to just me shooting by myself in the backyard shooting hoops. Um, you know, when I was a mathematics major in college or university, depending on <laughs> which continent you're on. Yeah. Um, it was really like I was 21 going on 22 when I, I took this random literature course. And in that class, uh, we read Joyce Carol Oates' Where Are You Going? Where Have You Been? Mm -hmm. um, and it remains one of my favorite stories. And it was really like the first time I read something. And I was like, oh, I didn't know people wrote things like this. I mean, because before that, like in high school, you know, I would read what was assigned, but mm -hmm. yeah, you know, that story just blew my socks off. And shortly after that, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, bought me Stephen King's The Stand. Nice. And so like a combination of those two stories turned me into a reader. Um, even I went away to graduate school for two years, you know, by myself in the wilds of Vermont. Um, I was reading all the Stephen King and then Barker, Straub, Shirley Jackson. Mm -hmm. And so at this point, I'm in my mid-20s. And when I came out of the school with my master's degree by the skin of my teeth, I had this weird itch to try writing a story. Um, in terms of horror, though, like, I don't know, I, I've been a horror fan and afraid of it for as long as I can remember. Yeah, uh, It's always been a part of my life. You know, to the point where like, you know, I'm sure everybody, you included, meet people when you tell them, oh, this is what I do. And they're like, oh, I don't like horror. Yeah. And we're supposed to say, oh, yeah, you're not. Yeah. Which is, I don't know, it strikes me as so weird. <laughs> it's, it is like, really funny I, that, isn't it? Like when someone just dismisses an entire genre and and you're you're also dismissing some of the greatest films ever made, like The Shining. You're dismissing The Shining, for God's sake. Right. But yeah, but they uh, don't consider that horror. I mean, that's yeah. in their minds, like that's something... Exactly. You know, I, always, hate the term, I hate the term elevated, but that's uh, sort of yeah. <laughs> what they think it is. Exactly. But like, do you find that when you decided that horror was kind of, because you write, you write things besides horror, but when you write horror, do you have it in your mind that this is something that potentially is, well, at the start at least, potentially niche? I mean, it's, it's more accepted now and it's more widely accepted mm. in general, but is there was there a part of you right at the start that, that thought, if I'm going to write horror, like this is going to be my lane from now on and it, it may not get the kind of mainstream recognition that my writing kind of potentially could reach. So actually I started off when I first started writing. So really like the late nineties, the mid to late nineties, it was very much hobby. Wasn't very serious about it. Mm -hmm. I was also trying to, I was writing music too. And I quickly found out I was a better writer than musician. So I stuck with the <laughs> writing part. Of it. But when I first started writing, like horror writer was my badge. I was like, I am a horror writer. This is what I do. And for me as a very, you know, beginning writer, someone had read a story of mine. She's like, wow, you know, this is really great. You know, it would have been great even without the horror stuff. And this was from another horror writer. 
or it wasn't meant as an insult. Yeah. And I, I sat back and said, huh. And I thought about that for a little bit. So at that point in time, I said, you know what? I'm going to think of myself as a writer who writes horror as opposed to a horror writer. Mm-hmm. Not that I was ever embarrassed by the term. Yeah. You know, and my attitude has changed even since then. But to me, that was an important idea. The idea that whatever story idea I had, it had to, because at this point I had no, you know, I had no contracts. I wasn't writing books for anybody. I was just writing for myself. At that point, I was like, okay, I'm going to do whatever the story needs. Like, I'm not going to try to force it to be something it, it, it's not supposed to be. Yeah. And for me, that was a really important declaration slash lesson to learn. Because, I mean, my interests are going to go sort of dark anyway. Yeah. You know, without me even forcing it. Um, you know, so now that, you know, I have, a, you know, a book deal where I'm supposed to write horror. One, like the nice thing is my publisher pre- has a, like a very wide definition of what that is. Yeah. But, you know, I still feel like I'm operating under the aegis of, Hey, you know, you got to do what the story needs, mm-hmm. um, you know, not try to force it into being something that it's, it's not going to be. So, that, so that's, um, inter- that's interesting. Know, it took a long time for me to get to that spot, but yeah. So like, cause I spoke to Joel Lansdale recently and I was asking about, cause he, he does a wide range of different genres. Mm. He kind of dips in and out, but I guess horror is the genre he's kind of, mostly known for it's, it's actually getting towards uh, more the happen Lennon stuff now i guess but does, does your publisher have a, a say in the type of things you write like did it have they specifically signed you up to do horror um or if you wanted to could you just say right i'm going to do a um a, a love story i'm going to i'm just going to keep it a straight love story right. well uh, i think right now they kind of expect it to be horror if, i right. mean if anything they probably want me if i was to go anywhere else they would probably want me to shade more towards suspense Mm-hmm. thriller which i'm really not interested in going in that direction necessarily uh-huh. um but i don't know like as i mean as i'm sure you've discussed with other writers i mean why there's no need for me to leave horror i can do other things yeah and still fit inside what horror can be because it's to me it's such a wide umbrella like sort of the novel i'm working on now sort of like this big strange almost like uh it's being presented as like a faux memoir and hopefully it's kind of funny Ooh. until it's not so i mean i guess it would be sort of a horror comedy although when you say horror comedy in my mind, you know, I think of films where the horror parts are the funny parts. Yeah, yeah. And I'm yeah, trying yeah. to make it the funny parts funny, and the the horrific parts horrific, and so not Evil you know, Dead I don't want the kind of vibe. That? Evil Dead Two kind of vibe. Um, I'd say more like more like American Werewolf in London, where oh, right, okay. you know, there's like sort of an arch sense of humor throughout the whole thing. But the, I mean, to me, like actually, my friend Alejandro Bruges, I don't know if you know him I or do, talked yeah, to him. Yeah. He did, yeah. You know, he he asked recently, hey, what what are your favorite horror comedies and what have been scary? That was really hard to think of, like a horror comedy that was scary. And really one of the few I could think of was American Werewolf of London, which is yeah. really funny. But also like the scene in the London Tube, to me, remains one of the most scary, tense films you'd, or scenes you'd ever have in a horror movie. Yeah, I, I think about every time I'm on a tube late, I think of that scene just because like it <laughs> it's ripe. It's ripe for horror, I think the... London Underground that's been there for over a hundred years and these tunnels that go into sure. the dark. You mentioned there that your new book is kind of a, a memoir style, which is similar, I guess, to A Head Full of Ghosts, which is the book, the first book of yours that I read and mm. genuinely like blew me away. Sometimes horror can be inaccessible for some for some people on the page because horror sometimes can be quite it's quite a visual medium and sometimes it's best expressed that way. But you managed to make it accessible and and uh, with a kind of a commercial commercially minded story uh, i feel and it, it's the kind of story that really really stuck with me like like a book hasn't done for a long time and 
I was really like involved in this book. And the thing that surprised me uh, about it, and it, which is why I was so happy when uh, we went on Zoom uh, a couple of months back, a few months <laughs> back, I was like, who who's the person behind this that that wrote this? Because obviously they're, they're Sydney literate, they have they're a great writer, but I think that you, you've kind of captured in that particular book a horror that that is is kind of in the zeitgeist, something that mixes social media and it marries a classic tale with something with technology now. What kind of, and I think I've asked you this last time I spoke to you, but not <laughs> recorded, what, what made you come up with uh, Head Full of Ghosts? What was the inciting thing? Well, well, first, thank you. I mean, it's very kind. Yeah, I mean, that book, I feel like I got lucky with it. Like, it was one of those few, like, eureka moments that writers dream about having hap- yeah. uh, happening. So it was February of 2013, Jesus, almost eight years now. <laughs> and I was a hundred pages into this other book that I wasn't feeling anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I happened to be doing quote unquote research, which just for me was like an excuse to not work on the book that wasn't <laughs> working. Um, anyway, so I read this book of essays um, about the movie, The Exorcist mm-hmm. it was published by Centipede Press as part of their In the Night Study series, which is a wonderful series of books. Nice. And it's this big fat tome on the, on the exorcist and a lot of the essays, you know, there's some interviews and cast stuff, but there's also like essays about the movie. And there was a couple talking about the politics of the movie and placing it within its time. And there was another almost like a journalistic investigative piece that investigated the supposed real life case that the exorcist was based on, which is mm-hmm. obviously bull- bullshit yeah. to the point where like <laughs> the investigator was fairly confident that neither either the priest or the actual child didn't exist. Uh, and I might be remembering this horribly, but, you know, it was pretty clear that it was all bullshit to me. Yeah. Um, so when I finished reading that, I was like, oh, wow. Uh, I just started thinking about horror. I was like, geez, when's the last time anyone's written in, you know, in a, a possession novel or, you know, one that was big. I'm um, not saying that I would write one that was big, but like, you know, I couldn't think of, it's been a really long time. The only one I could think of were, was Sarah Grand's Come Closer. And that was like in the early 2000s, which is great. Um it's like, oh, how would I write a possession novel? <clears throat> and sort of instantly, I was, I was like, oh, I would write one that was from a sort of a secular skeptic's point of view. You know, and then, you know, the novel sort of grew from there. And I knew I, I needed to play both sides, not only the skeptical side, but also try to play, have, you know, readers believe that something supernatural is happening. Yeah. And I don't know what you were talking about, sort of the zeitgeist. I mean, for, I don't know, I think one of the best advice for any writer is to just to keep mining your, your obsessions. <laughs> And for me, I've been obsessed for, you know, as a writer for more than 15 years now and writing about the internet and, you know, which transformed into social media and, you know, how that affects our consumption of information and how we get information. Um, You know, in 2008, I wrote a short story called The Blog at the End of the World and it won an online contest. And it was told that it was written as a blog. Um, And even when it won the contest, it was pretty cool. When they put it online, they set it up like a blog with links. Nice. nice. (laughs) Um, It's it's dead (laughs) now, unfortunately, but... uh, no, but the but the story itself was the blogger was presenting, hey, here's the evidence for a mysterious pandemic of brain aneurysms. And then there was someone in the comments kept saying, no, this is crap and like denying it and stuff like that. I don't know. I'm not trying to like pat myself on the back, but I mean, you could see, I mean, being a person online, when I first got online, it was live journal and blogging and yeah, yeah, just yeah. seeing all the arguments. It was easy to see like, whoa, you know, how this is changing how we get information. So, yeah, I don't know. That, I mean, that certainly went into a head full of ghosts. Like my idea of the ambiguity of the story, my plan was, well, usually if it's ambiguous, you're withholding information. Yeah. I thought it would be a cool twist to, 
to flip it and be like, no, I'm bombarding you with information. It's almost like a data glut, which is hopefully um, replicates sort of like our daily lives, like how we feel just bombarded with all this information and we don't know what's what. Yeah. And like, it's, it's one of those stories where, and like, again, like I'm, I'm very uh, skeptical and I'm very um, desensitized and my brain is saturated with, with horror uh, imagery all day, every day. Yeah. I, I found myself <laughs> fearing to turn the page sometimes in that book because I just, I didn't want something bad to happen to, to the protagonist. So, I mean, it takes a real skill, I think, to, to scare me and, and he did, it did a good job. Uh, so oh, um, thanks. And talking well, I was going to I was yes, gonna ask you, actually, because, you yeah. know, the scare part of it, because, you know, when you've been posting, oh, you know, talked about hosts and you're like, yeah, <laughs> talking about this next one, it's going to be the scariest thing. And, you yeah. know, I, I love and obviously you guys did it with hosts it was, you know, terrifying. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, I come in from almost like the other side, like maybe it's just the lack of confidence to my part. But like when I'm writing something, I have no idea if it's scary or not. Um, yeah. Because yeah, for so many people, like the scare is subjective. Right. So I, I'll be interested to see what you say after this. You know, yeah. when I'm writing something, obviously, you know, I, I try actually, and it is a little bit different mediums. You're writing screenplays. I'm writing a book. Mm -hmm. I think if I was writing a screenplay, I'd try to be focused more on the visceral side of the scare. Yeah. But when I'm writing it as a book, I'm like, well, I can't guarantee I'm going to scare anybody. <laughs> but I uh, hopefully, I feel fairly confident that I can make them care about the character. I can move them. I can disturb them. I feel like disturbing is something that's a little bit more universal, like, mm -hmm. but yeah. the scare can be subjective. So yeah. I don't know, like, how do you approach it with well, the screenwriting well, from the screenwriting side? Well, I think there's a form, I think that genuinely think there's, a, there's a formula and it's all kind of based in foreshadowing. If you, um, if you place enough breadcrumbs at the start, they'll follow it in their mind. And, and the image of what will happen in their mind is a lot more scary than you could write on a, on, on a page, I feel. So in host, we, we, we planted everything that you need to know in the first 10 minutes. And it's almost like your brain is waiting for something to happen based on that. And I, I'm playing a, a video game at the moment on Nintendo Switch called Detention. And it does it really, really well. Right at the start of the game, it gives you all of this crazy information about creatures, about um, something that's coming and you're waiting the entire game for this to happen and it's, it drives you insane that allows you in, in any medium to slip in red herrings fake outs and but when the, the, the terror finally comes it's almost like a relief you almost want the terror to mm. come and that's a really weird position to be I think wanting something horrible to happen just so you can feel you can breathe again at the moment you have to kind of do something that's a little bit different than what's out there and because horror fans are the most cine literate fans there are so you also have to keep in mind subverting the the kind of normal conventions of, mm. of horror which 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 you which you do really well i think in your books i read survivor song over the, the summer as well and survivor song is again unintentionally i guess you've captured the zeitgeist and, <laughs> and I, I wrote for, for shudder i wrote a thing saying that if, if host is the the film that best represents 2020 and that then your book survivor song is the book that represents it. But you, you told me that this was all unintentional. You wrote it before any of this kicked off, right? Oh yeah. No, I finished, I started it in like July. Well, I had the idea for the book, the original idea in like July, 2018 and finished like the final edits, turned it into my publisher. Um, was it like November of 2019? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, they had already printed up copies by early January of 2020. So yeah, yeah, there was nothing, nothing of this past year went into it. That's crazy. That's crazy. Did they, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a terrible time for a lot of people, but did they at any point say to you, Paul, like this is this, you've captured something that we could never have predicted. This is, 
crazy and it must have been mentioned in every re review like like it, since it came out uh, the whole pandemic yeah you know it's my yeah, my publisher, yeah, they were never, they were just like, you know, head forward, we're going to put it out. I think even at one point in the earliest part, I said, eh, should we move the publishing date? Uh, like, no, we're not moving it. They're like, yeah. okay. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, obviously the reviewers make mention of it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's something, well, part of it is it could be predictive. When I say it's, I mean, we, we've known for years that a pandemic was a matter yeah. of when, not if. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, you know, especially in the United States, given who had been president. I'm, it's so nice to be able to say had been. Oh, uh, so good. Yeah. I'm not even American and I feel so happy about <laughs> you know, it. That, yeah. <laughs> you know, given that who was the president at the time, that it would have been a terrible response. And because you already saw things like in my novel, The Cabinet at the End of the World, I mentioned that, you know, Trump had already sort of gutted the pandemic response, you know, within the government and stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, some of it, was just like, hey, it was there. You know, and some of the medical side of it was because my sister, who's a nurse, went through an Ebola scare. Mm -hmm. And so from that, like, I knew there wouldn't be like PPE and, and stuff like that. So and it was just this weird confluence of things. For people who haven't read it, it's it's about essentially two female protagonists at the heart of the book. One of them's pregnant and they have to navigate a rabid wasteland of uh, humanity to kind of get to safety essentially the way you um kind of formatted the book also reminded me a little bit of head full of ghosts and in the way you use current technology to tell a story you use obviously like i message type uh mm. text and is it like blogs or like reddit style text well, well the there's reference to Reddit, but the uh the pregnant woman natalie is using a, a sort of basically a, a diary app where she's recording messages That's to her right. unborn child. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, so it's the funny part, like even like, you know, the, the, so the book, it's weird to me because I wrote it before 2020 and everyone mm -hmm. who reads it, just about everyone who's ever read it has read it within 2020. So, yeah, you know, the, <laughs> the story has changed, has been changed irrevocably, which is fine, obviously. Mm -hmm. I would prefer the pandemic not happen <laughs> for many yeah. other reasons beyond, you know, my book, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I mean, because the intention was like, this is a quiet story, you know, take, well, not quiet, um, but uh, I should say like a, a tighter story where it's only over four to six hours. It's not mm -hmm. a cast of thousands. You mentioned it, it really focuses on Natalie and, and Romola, you know, two best friends. Um, you know, and it's a super rabies virus. It's really, and it's just Massachusetts. That's the funny part. Like, you know, I see people commenting on the book, like, oh, you mentioned 10,000 deaths, you know, that's way off. I'm like, it was just Massachusetts and it was just like a month or two. Not that I wanted to be accurate. Yeah. Um, and we just recently passed that death mark in real life, which is just, you know, just so Crazy. awful. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It, I mean, for me, it's just been, you know, like every, everything's been weird for everybody. <laughs> the book for me is just added like a, another just layer of weirdness. Yeah. And I like how it's, um, it's not zombies. It's, rabid people but also you have there's a little bit of a, a vampire mythology in there in, in terms of with with the water um, mm. and like it, it's one of the the traits of, of rabies that they stay away from water and it's right it's almost vamp vampiric in, in terms of like obviously vampires don't like holy water so i thought that that was great and <laughs> there were some of the most tense scenes when when you didn't really know whether this person was rabid or not and they're starting to resist water or they think it tastes funny. Brilliant. Loved it. Um, well, thank and, you. And, and I feel like your books, they do lend itself to um, potential adaptation. There's, there's definitely a very cinematic quality to the books. Like when you, when you read a, a great, king book you can you can already see the film in, in in your head are you are you writing in your mind for this potential adaptation is that what you have in mind or no 
No, definitely not. I'm nodding my head. I, I mean, I guess people are listening to this, so they can't hear me nod my head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, or shaking my head, I should say. No, I mean, that that's too hard to even... I mean, it's hard enough to think about like what's going to be best for the story. Never mind worrying about, you know, I try, I even try to worry, not even think about who's going to read this. I mean, I try yeah. to just trust that, that, you know, hopefully if I, if this is something I would read, there's enough people out there like me that would want to read it is really all I'm thinking about. Although I'd be lying if I, I didn't say like afterwards, it doesn't affect the story. I, I didn't think about that a little bit. Like the novel I'm working on now, mm-hmm. I think would be kind of hard <laughs> or almost unfilmable in some way, unless it was like a TV show of some sort. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm not going to change how I'm going about things. Like I'm mm-hmm. just trying to write the best book that I can. And um, again, it's, it's, it's kind of pressing that you mentioned uh, the, the stand. Cause I thought there was a bit of a, a kind of a stand vibe with a uh, survival song also about this, something that's taken over the whole world and potentially could be the end of it and yeah and it's just about a group of survi- survivors who are trying to kind of live in this world i'm guessing stephen king is, is, is kind of a big influence on oh, you. absolutely um who are your your other kind of influences um and so like the i my first started reading obviously was stephen king but um you know from the same well stephen king has always been around but from yeah. the you know, I'm just thinking like 80s and 90s writers like Peter Straub and Clive Barker. Clive Barker, for sure. He, when I read Clive, you know, the Books of Blood, especially yeah. in his earliest works, like and that was like a whoa. <laughs> like yeah. I, was, I felt like it was the first time I wasn't safe <laughs> yeah. with with the person that I was reading, which was, yeah. you know, uh, you know, in retrospect, a, a big lesson. Um, you know, and Peter Straub, I think, is just a genius, but also, like I mentioned, Joyce Carol Oates and Shirley Jackson. I mean a lot of ways, a head full of ghosts is a love letter to, to Shirley Jackson's work. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, like I, I just try to get as, you know, I feel like I'm a magpie where I just get influence and, and try to take stuff from everything I read and watch. I mean, I think a lot of my books are, no, I think a lot of my books are very much inspired by film. That was my first exposure to, yeah. to horror or even just entertainment in general. It was always, I watched a ton of movies growing up. Um, you know, to the point where the novel after a head full of ghosts, <laughs> uh, disappearance of devil's rock, you know, there's other influences, but in my head, I took three Australian movies and sort of mixed them up. Yeah. Um, Lake Mungo, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> picnic at hanging rock and then Snowtown murders. Nice. All, all, all great <laughs> horror movies. Well, so say for example, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a screenplay or starting a project, I'll have almost like a mood board. It, it might not be a physical mood board, but it's one that could be in a notes folder on my computer or, or it could just be in my mind, just a collection mm. of various different things I want this to, f- to feel like. Do, so when you're writing it, sitting down and, and actually writing it, do you have like something in front of you saying, I want it to be t- touch on this and this and this and this and have this feel? It it's, depends on the, the book or the story. I'd say more times than not, I do seek out things that are close to what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Like I definitely did with The Head Full of Ghosts. Um, you know, th- that book in a lot of ways was about influence. So I tried to, you know, I'd already seen most of the stuff and read most of the stuff, but I tried to read and see the things that I'd missed. Yeah. Um, you know, with my novel, The Cabinet in the World, um, I had Lord of the Flies book sitting on my desk. Right. And even to the point where, like, it, the story is not nothing like Lord of the Flies, but I wanted the feel. Yeah. And the the opening paragraph of the Cabinet at the end of the world is the opening paragraph of Lord of the Flies, just sort of rewritten. Uh, but it's the same sort of same 
same sort of imagery that's used instead of like the boy climbing down to the lagoon. It's my, you know, it's the girl when in my book climbing off stairs into the grass. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I do this stuff. All, and you know, there's a scene in that <laughs> book that uh, I had James, James Wally's Frankenstein, the iconic image of Frankenstein sitting next to the little girl at, you know, at the edge of the yeah. pond. Like I, I set up a scene where there were two characters sitting like that. But then um I don't know. Like I, I try to make everything seem different because man, writing a novel takes so freaking long. <laughs> you know, it usually takes me minimum 12 months, usually more like 15. Yeah. Um, and it's such a long marathon process. I mean, part of the deal for me is now I'm trying to not trick myself or fool myself, but I, I am trying to find ways to make the process seem different, to try to to have it seem, you know, exciting, like to have that feeling of discovery. So, yeah. you know, I do try to purposely switch thing up, even if it's only like, <laughs> even if it's only like fake switching it up. But, mm-hmm. you know, with Survivor's Song, that book, I purposely avoided the whole time I was writing it. I didn't watch zombie stuff. I, I avoided, even though it was definitely sort of <laughs> a zombie yeah. adjacent book, we'll call it. Uh-huh. Um, I'd seen enough as it was, or it was all there anyway. But yeah. for that book, I was like, I'm going to make this one feel different. I'm not going to, I'm not going to like seek out things that are the same. Yeah. Um, and you know, the novel I'm working on now, it's, it's being written as a faux memoir. So I'm using a lot of my own life stories and, and weaving them in there. So, you know, this one feels different. So I don't know. Interesting. And yeah. like, um, so you, you mentioned like the, uh, your various different ways you're, you're trying to mix up when you're writing it. Do you have a specific process? Cause there's always the, the myth of a writer with this particular, um, process they sit down at a physical typewriter and they <laughs> they bash it out and like when I was speaking to, to Joe Lansdale like his whole thing is he wakes up early in the morning does three hours st- stops whatever he's doing even if he's got to somewhere good and then he has the rest of the day to himself he actually said he spends the rest of the day masturbating that, that's his exact words <laughs> but like <laughs> so, um, but yeah do you have like a, like a, a set process I want to be Joe when I grow up yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be working to be fair. Yeah. Uh, sort of. I mean, you know, I think part of it, like, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, is figuring out what works for you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as much as I want to try to deviate, make things different, I don't go away from the core part of it. So for me, you know, I, I do all my writing, writing on the laptop. Like I have notebooks and for, yeah, I'd probably say about two thirds, maybe in three fourths of my novels, I've written maybe like a rough 10 page summary, like a treatment mm-hmm. style kind of summary uh, of what I think the plot is. Yep. Um, and I'll often write notes on that, like the book I'm working on now. It's just a mess of random stuff. <laughs> um, and, you know, just because I still work like a full-time job, like I'm lucky. I mean, a two-hour day, that's a long time if I can get yeah. two hours of writing. And for me, it's more like an hour, hour and a half. Um, you know, if it's, if it's the summer and actually at, toward the end of Survivor Song, uh actually felt good. That was a little bit different. Like the last month before it was due, mm-hmm. um, I was putting in like four or five hour writing days nice. just because I was a little bit behind <laughs> for yeah. various reasons. So, I mean, that was kind of good to think, okay, I can do that if I have to, like, that was a nice thing to know. Uh, but typically I can only write in like one to two hour chunks, mm-hmm. but even when I put it away, it's always there. I'm always thinking about it. And I usually solve problems. Yeah. What I perceive to be problems or get my best ideas when I'm away from it. And so as I've gotten older, I've had to write that shit down. I used yeah. to just rely on remembering it, but it's like, Oh my God, I think I've forgotten some of the best ideas I've ever had. Uh, so 
it, it must be. Uh, I would love to. I would love to do what Joe does. Like in the summer, if I'm yeah. home, I, that's sort of what I do. Mm-hmm. I won't necessarily admit to the masturbating all day part, but <laughs> you know, in the morning, three hours. That sounds like a good plan to me. I can only write. So like, um, and it's probably bad to say to, to invoke invoke his name, but I was really at, at, the, at first in, inspired by Woody Allen, and it, I was dissecting all, all of his books about writing and stuff, and and how prolific he is in, in making his films. Like he just churns them out every single year, like without fail. He's made so many movies. So I was like, okay, how does he de- how does he have the time to do it? And he basically just writes in bed. That's his whole thing is he can't write anywhere but but bed, mm. and. So I that that's basically all I do. Like I I had my own office for for five years. I had my own office, and all I did was fill that office full of arcade machines like an idiot. I literally like had a little bit of money uh, from uh, being um, made redundant from a previous job. I was like, right, I'm I'm going to set up a record label. I'm going to write all day. That's my, that's my thing. And I just filled it full of arcade machines. And I was like, I'm not getting anything done here at all. Really bad idea. And I was spending most of my time not even going to that office and just staying in bed and writing. And I feel in the hours of like between 2 a.m. and 5 a.m. in the morning, that's when I'm most prolific, when the world is is just just silent and I can kind of concentrate without distractions. Well, so when you're writing in bed, are you, are you a, like a longhand person or are you typing the whole time? It's typing the whole time, and um, and the reason why it kind of works in bed is because after I've written something, after that day of writing for a, a couple of hours or so, I close my eyes and I and I almost rewind the film in my head to the start, and I press play, and everything I've written, I kind of like watch it as a film, and then as soon as I get bored in that in that film in my mind or something doesn't fit, then I know okay, I I need to like fix that tomorrow. So I'm always like, I've got the VCI in my mind. I'm just pressing play and just, just watching it, watching what happens. And it's kind of a weird process, but I've always kind of like done that with everything. Um, oh, and then by the we- end of it, by the end of the film, like you've, you've kind of got a full movie and that's kind of why I can, I, I can write a screenplay in like two weeks and just bang, well, a first draft at least is not necessarily good, but I can kind of just bang it out and worry mm. about f- fixing it later. No, oh, it sounds like an internet meme. Jed is writing in bed. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> that that is me. Yeah, and this is why I can't write a novel. Like I've really I've tried I've tried to write a novel, but like my attention span is so like small. It's really hard for me to sit down and spend my time on something for, for that long. I really wish I could. I really wish. But no. So, do you have uh do you have any desire to 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 direct? Yeah, so well, yeah. Yeah, so that that's the plan basically for 2021. I've got uh, off uh, off um, recording, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a bit about yeah. it. Okay, cool. But yeah, there's 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 some cool things lined up, and um, definitely, I want to do the whole writer director thing and uh, writer producer director thing. In fact, that's that's my aim. But yeah, so so back back to you, Paul. Okay. Um, so <laughs> everyone I know has read um, a head full of ghosts, and everyone just, just fills it full of praise. Everyone's talking about Survivor Song in the summer. Is there a little bit of pressure? Because I know I feel pressure after host. Like I need to do something as good as that. Do you, do you find that as well? Oh yeah. Um, definitely. And actually it was funny. The first time I really felt it was, uh, so with a head full of ghosts, it was a two book deal. You know, a head full of ghosts was already written right. and uh, the deal was offered. What was it? February of 2014. I think it was, you know, so a head full of ghosts didn't come out for another like 15 months. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to figure out what the next book was. So I bounced ideas back and forth with my editor. Cause I really wanted to, make sure that was a good relationship. I just didn't want to like throw something random on her lap. Yeah. Um, so then I started the next book. So for me, like the pressure part happened before a head flow goes came out. I had no idea 
if people are going to like it or not. I mean, I felt really good about it. Mm-hmm. But like when I was writing Disappearance of Devil's Rock, you know, for most of it, it was one, it was a much different book for me. It was the first time I was doing a novel length, third person, jumping in between different characters because my my prior novels were all first. So it was hard. I was unsure of myself. And the whole time I was like, ah, this is not as easy as A Head Full of Ghosts was. Because I don't know, I, I'm sure you've experienced this. In the afterglow of something being done, I was like, oh yeah, that wasn't bad. Like, But when you're in it, no, there were hard parts and there were times when you were going to, you know, just crumple it up and throw it away. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, I don't know, the best piece of advice I got, I sent an email to my friend slash mentor, Stuart Ornan, who's just an amazing novelist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I sent him an email. I was like, oh, you know, I don't think this book is as good as A Head Full of Ghosts and it's so hard, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know, the kind of email maybe you send thinking like your friend's going to pat you on the back. Oh no, yeah. you're a good writer. It's going to be great. He just wrote back one line. He said, eh, not everything you write is going to be great. <laughs> and I, I, when I read it I, I yeah well I read it, I laughed like that and I just actually I felt like all the pressure I put on myself to sort of dissipate yeah and uh, it allowed me to write the, the rest of that book yeah um you know so now I mean yeah there's pressure I definitely feel pressure with this one I'm writing now because it is going to be a lot different than the last two novels like Survivor Song and Cabin are both in this very shortened time frame you know sort of short intense novels Mm-hmm. You know, and this book is going to be longer. It's going to be a little bit more uh, interior, a little bit more meandery. You know, hopefully it, this works. There's a reason why it, it's that, yeah. you know, you know, starting in 1988 and finishing probably in 2018. So, nice. you know, it's a lot more sort of expansive time-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Like, I mean, part of it, I hope, is like when you're unsure, that means it's something good. You're pushing yourself. Yeah, um, and something different as well. I think right. be, being original is, is 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 the most difficult thing to do. And if it's different from your other books, I think that's only a good thing. You don't want to keep pumping out the same hit song again right. and again and again because <laughs> people will get bored. Um, we didn't realize host would be so big. So the next one, we didn't want to do, we didn't want to do a host here. We want to do something completely different. So it almost it could never be compared to host because it's completely different. Guest. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly but like like we have no it would be the easiest thing in the world to just like do that again but like that where's the fun in that like we've yeah. been given a cool opportunity to like make a bunch of films with almost like no one watching us do it so we can we can kind of just do what we want and yeah there is there is some freedom in that but also you're thinking the whole time, oh God, like we've got a lot of people like watching us. Like what if this isn't on the level of host in terms of we're on a hundred percent of Rotten Tomatoes and we were in the top five highest rated films of the year. We'll, we'll never get that again. Like we right. honestly, like I don't think anything myself or Rob will ever make will re- reach those heights. Cause they're already, that's already as high as you can go. So um, we're already like between us, between ourselves just thinking okay this is this is going to be not as well received as host but maybe we're being just being negative on it but um yeah well, i think we're, no, we're I trying guess, to I set mean, ourselves up for yeah we're not trying to set ourselves up for like a fall basically sure no i mean not that it you guys are i'm sure fully capable of making another great movie yeah but you also i'm sure you've already talked about this and know that and just know how people behave yeah that no matter what you put out next there's going to be a, a group of people, however big or small, that are yeah. going to be inclined to not like it and be like, ah, those guys suck. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Do you ever find that the more that people read your books, 
the more it kind of gets away from what you originally thought it would be. For for instance, you may have thought um, Head Full of Ghosts was kind of an intimate ghost story, but the more people read it and the more people apply their own lives to it, it becomes something different, if that makes sense. I'm, I'm certainly not one to go back and look at what I wrote like years ago, like, this is genius. I mean, if, if that's <laughs> the case, I can't... I, I think that's a bad sign that either yeah. I haven't grown as a writer or I've become an asshole, <laughs> neither of which are, are preferable. Yeah. But I don't know. It's also weird. Like, you know, cause I still remember, you know, writing parts of that and stuff like that. So, I mean, I don't know. I think for the most part, people have sort of got what the book was going for, you know, whether or not they enjoyed it or not. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, they got what they're going for. I will say I was, I was really surprised <laughs> by the reaction to the cabinet at the end of the world by people who really didn't like it. Like I was really surprised at the reaction to the ending, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I thought the ending, like what the true ending of the book was, was pretty clear to me. Um, but again, I mean, I wrote it. So I sort of, you know, maybe I didn't do a good enough job uh, communicating what the end was, but I don't know. I, I found myself getting, I'm trying not to getting salty about <laughs> people yeah. hate the end of that book. Um but, but that's, I mean, that's I exactly know, what but, I mean. But, like, but most of it is fun, though. I mean, honestly, yeah. most of it is great. Like, I've gotten to meet so many amazing people, you yeah. include. Oh, um, thanks. <laughs> you know, I often, you know, I try to remind myself if I'm ever stressed out or not ever, when I'm stressed out and anxious, you know, like, put the put this yourself from, you know, where you were 15 years ago and show that person where you are now. Like, yeah, that person exactly. doing cartwheels and freaking out. So, you know. Yeah, it is I, the perspective's hard when you're when you're so like into it and focused on trying to get something done on a deadline, and you know, and we're both in the same position where, you know, there are sort of <laughs> economic expectations placed on it, you know, by either you know a studio or in my case, you know, a publisher, mm-hmm. you know, and some of those are just out of your control. It is, it's, you know, talent only gets you so far. I mean, you need some luck, you need some timing. Yeah. Um, this leads me on to one of the, the final questions I have for you. Your books do lend itself so well to potential adaptations. Do you have any updates in, in any of the uh, any of your books being adapted? Because I know there was talk of A Head Full of Ghosts potentially becoming a film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, there was another one um, that you told me about last time as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't really say anything superficial, but like, I mean, A Head Full of Ghosts is definitely the closest yeah, to being a thing. I mean, Scott Cooper's on board mm-hmm. um, to d- he rewrote the script and to direct it. Uh, nice. Margaret Qualley is still attached to play Adult Mary. Perfect. I think they have some other casting that they haven't announced yet. Yeah, um, perfect honestly, casting there. Yeah, and they even have like foreign distribution deal in place too. So right. it's weird. So I don't know. Hopefully, it's just a matter of them finding a health window to start filming in 2021. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Cabinet at the End of the World was optioned by Film Nation, so that's still kicking around. I can't really say where, where that's going, because um, cool. I don't even know. But also, Survivor Song was optioned. We just can't say by who yet. Interesting. Cool. Yeah, yeah I'm surprised. I'm not surprised at that one because that one, that one feels like it should be pushed to the to, to the forefront. That 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 one should be should go first. Well, it's funny. Like relevant. I actually used you and host as an example. Like when it was oh. being pitched around the summer, I like think most of the studios. I mean, again, it's different now than it was in the summer. Yeah. Like a lot of the studios were like, "Oh, we don't want to make a pandemic movie. We, mm-hmm. Well, we can't make movies because of a pandemic." I mean, yeah. just you know, we're afraid of that part. I was like, "Well, haven't you just seen hosts yeah. like going crazy?" <laughs> I mean, I think you know. 
I understand why you don't want to, but I think viewers would watch it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, so it took a I'm little, glad we could help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it helped or not. I kind of was just talking, just venting to, to somebody because I, I certainly wasn't in on the pitch part of things. But yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I don't know. But, we'll see. Obviously, I, I would like to see a movie and, happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, th I think Survivor Song, like just, just having those two strong female characters helping each other through this crazy situation is mm. for me, it just, just felt really cinematic and definitely one I, I want to watch. And you don't usually get that in, in genre films. It's either one woman and, and a man maybe, and mm. but not, not two women, women in this particular situation. Just selfishly, I'd, I'd really, really love to see A Head Full of Ghosts uh, like, adapted and adapted well, because I think that story is just so, so cool. So hopefully that Thanks. That comes yeah, me too. Soon. <laughs> um, so Paul, where can people find you? Thank you for thank you very much for coming on uh, Jed Talks, oh, no, by the way. You. And uh, where can people find you should they want to uh, get in touch or like see what you're up to? Sure. So, uh, well, I'm on Twitter at Paul G Tremblay. I'm also on Instagram, uh, the same handle at Paul G Tremblay. The G is my middle initial. It's a holdover <laughs> from my father is Paul N Tremblay. When I first started writing, uh, I, didn't, I didn't want to be accused of being a junior because I'm not <laughs> Tremblay Junior. Uh, if you go to my website, paultremblay.net, if you scroll down like halfway through, there's a sign up for for a newsletter, and it's I'm not obnoxious to the newsletter. It's like once a month. <laughs> Where I'm usually, you know, and when I send it out, I, I'm usually hopefully sending some sort of like originally essay kind of thing. That's a nice. Bit I'll sign up. I'll sign up today. That, that's great. <laughs> and uh, your latest book, Survivor Songs, out on HarperCollins Publishers, available anywhere in the UK. It's uh, Titan, Titan Books, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, or you can just buy it on Amazon for a very reasonable price, indeed. Can well, I put a plug in? Sure. Just, yeah, of course. Uh, can. My, both my publishers in the US and the UK are, are re releasing my first novels, my first two novels, which were sort of these weird dark, hopefully humorous uh, detective novels. The Little Sleep uh, and the, yeah, the Little Sleep and No Sleep to Wonderland. So oh, no in the US, The Little Sleep is coming out on Tuesday, or re-coming out, I should say. Nice. In the UK, Titan's doing this really cool. In April, they're doing an omnibus where it's both books published under one volume. So that'll be oh, nice. uh, really April. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah, I, I can't wait to, I'll, I'll grab that myself. Thanks very much, Paul. And uh, I'm sure I'll have you back on. Hang around, we'll, we'll speak after a press stop. Yeah, anytime. <laughs> All right, thanks, Jed. Thanks, Paul. Well.